Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Sword and Trial. Today, Graham and I have the opportunity of talking to an old friend, Stan Reeves. And Stan is a retired full-time professor of engineering at Auburn University in Alabama. In the last few years, he's given himself to look into Bitcoin. And he's actually just taught a course on Bitcoin at Auburn. And he is a Christian thinker. Uh, he has done a lot of work in church planting and theology. And uh, Stan uh, has a lot to say about how Christians ought to think about Bitcoin. So we encourage you to listen in, even if you don't know a thing about Bitcoin or if you think it's just pure speculation. It's something that Christians ought to be aware of and that we ought to be willing to consider biblically. So we're not making any financial recommendations on this podcast, but we are trying to educate. So thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. We're delighted to have you join us today on this special episode of the Sword and Trial, where we welcome in our good friend, Stan Reeves. Dr. Reeves, who is a retired full-time professor, retired from full-time, teaching at Auburn University in Alabama. So, Stan, uh, welcome to the Sword and Trial. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're glad to have you on this podcast. And uh, Stan is no stranger to many people who have uh, known of Founders through the years. And in fact, if you've learned about Founders without knowing any of the principal people involved in it, it's probably because of what God has done through Stan Reeves. Because Stan is the original webmaster for Founders. He's the one who's responsible for getting Founders online uh, many, many years Years ago, we think it was back in 1996, but I I specifically remember the the moment and the day when I got a phone call. I'm sitting in my study, and uh, Barb, who is uh, was the secretary of the church at that time, comes in and says, uh, "There's a, a Dr. Stan Reeves on the phone for you. He's a professor at Auburn University." And I'm thinking, well, this is interesting, you know, so I uh, get on the phone with you and I'd heard your name, made the connections because I think we had somehow known each other through Ernie Reisinger or known of each other uh, through Ernie. But in that phone conversation, Stan says, you know, like founders and uh, support founders and would like to build a website uh, for founders, you know, if, if you would give me permission to do that. And so we talk a little bit about it and what, you know, it might do and all. And uh, this is back before there were cell phones. And so the phone that I had that I was speaking on had a cord on it that was attached to the wall <laughs> in my study. And I, I hung up the phone. I said, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So we agreed to do it. I hung up the phone. And I started calling everybody I knew saying, what is a website? <laughs> <laughs> So, Graham, in 1996, you didn't know what a website was. Yeah, no clue. I was six years old. So, <laughs> so Stan, how did you even get into uh, uh, doing web websites? I mean, you, that wasn't your primary. You're an, you're an engineer. I mean, you you taught engineering, right. right? Right. Well, I, as the web began to materialize, I just saw that it had tremendous potential, and I thought of it first in terms of my own academic area and the way you could publish papers and things like that on there. But then I saw that it had potential beyond that. And I was very interested in using whatever skills I had in the area of technology to promote the gospel. Mm -hmm. And particularly through ministries that I felt very strongly 
positively about and founders was at the top of that list. And I had kind of learned about what a website could do and the potential it had. And I thought it would be a great uh, ministry opportunity to do that for founders. Well, and it was, it has been, and God's <laughs> used that in, in ways that only eternity will tell. And there's a lot of funny stories that uh, come out of that too, because we got on the web much earlier uh, than most other ministries, including the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, so there's some fun stories that we could tell down the road about some of those intersections as well. You're with, troubler in Israel. With the domains that we owned, like uh, sbc.com and such as that, you know, things like that. So anyway. Well, uh, Dr. Reeves also, I mean, most of our <laughs> listeners have probably benefited from the fact that he has uh, done the modern edition of the 1689 Confession. That's right. So if you have benefited from this, then uh, you should Thank God for Stan Reeves, because Stan's the one who very meticulously took the original 1689 and through conversation with other Reformed Baptists, uh, began to work to modernize it. And uh, this is, without a doubt, the best modern rendition of that ancient document. So Stan, thank you for that. Um, You've been a church planner. Um, You have uh, been involved in getting a church there in Auburn started about 20 years ago. So you've served as an elder there and you've been very active through the years in that church that is now a a wonderful, thriving church. Uh, You're also a graduate of Clemson University and uh, have given, I guess, the, the bulk of your career has been there at Auburn Teaching. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. That's right. But the last few years, uh, since you retired, I guess, from full-time teaching at Auburn, you have been involved with a Bitcoin organization, and that's what we want to talk to you about. Um, and in fact, you've recently taught a course at Auburn on Bitcoin. Is that correct? That's, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So tell us how that happened. How did, you, how did you get involved in Bitcoin, and then how did you... Uh, come to teach a course at Auburn University. But before you do that, we must give the proper disclaimers. Uh, This is not financial advice. You should consult with your financial advisor. Uh, We're not giving medical advice. Consult with your doctor. We're just trying to have an honest conversation, how to think Christianly about Bitcoin. So Stan, tell us how you got into it. Absolutely. I tell people I'm an educator, not an advisor. So, um, And you, you really wouldn't want my financial advice anyway. Um, so I had been, I had known about Bitcoin for a long time, but didn't really pay that close of attention to it until, uh, I guess it was fall of 2020 when I saw the things happening around the election dispute mm. and saw, realized just how divided our political process has, had become and also how willing some people were to weaponize the powers of the state to uh, suppress their opponents. Mm. And it was about that time I started thinking, well, you know, uh, if I say the wrong thing on Twitter or Facebook, maybe I would be a target of that too. And uh, thought thought about how my uh, savings just sitting in the bank are kind of a, a sitting duck target for someone who might choose to uh, abuse the system and uh, started thinking about how I might be able to protect my assets. So I started talking to a friend of mine who I knew was into Bitcoin. I said, is Bitcoin the kind of thing you could use to protect your assets and put it out of the reach of the government? And he said, yes, it absolutely is. 
And so I started studying it more and uh, became more and more intrigued. And in the process, I learned a lot more about our current monetary system, uh, which gave me even more concern. So, um, yeah, I've always had an interest in economics and that sort of thing. So this just played right into that. Uh, I started reading everything I could and listening to podcasts and so forth and had already concluded that if I, uh, when I retired, I might want to pursue a second career in the Bitcoin area. And so when I did retire, uh, that, that was kind of on the radar screen for me. Um, I'd already put out some feelers before I retired about possibly teaching a course about Bitcoin. And so after I retired, uh, I had a, I still had some contact with various students and a graduate student contacted me and said, Hey, um, I need one more course to, to finish up my master's degree. Would you do like a, an independent study with me about crypto? And uh, I said, I thought about it and I thought, well, I've been looking for a way, a reason to develop some teaching material on this. And uh, maybe I could kind of harness him as my teaching assistant <laughs> as a student to help me with it. And so I said, came back to him. I said, yeah, I'll teach you a course on Bitcoin. And, um, and so I, I thought it would be best if it would be more interesting and dynamic if I added a few more students. So I, I, uh, recruited a few more students and ended up recruiting a few more than I, I wanted. I ended up with seven total mm. and, uh, taught a course over the summer. And, you know, I'm sure you can attest to this when you, when you teach something, you learn a lot more than just mm. the students do. Mm. So uh, that was quite an interesting educational experience for me, just digging deeper into parts of that that I hadn't needed on a daily basis. So that's how that came about. And it was very rewarding and very uh, enlightening, too. Stan, what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a, a digital asset that runs on a distributed network. Uh, it has... Uh, it is on a distributed decentralized network. It has properties that uh, make it uh, very attractive as money. Uh, when you start looking at the kinds of things you would like for money to be, Bitcoin has many of those properties. Uh, for example, one of the leading properties of Bitcoin is that it's what we call scarce. And by scarce, we just mean it's not that you can't find it. It means that uh, you can't make more of it very easily. And so this is one of the reasons why gold is considered valuable because you can't make more of it or you can't easily, you can't, it's difficult to mine. And so you can't just go crack open a, the ground and, and dig out tons and tons of gold. And the same is true of Bitcoin. By design, it is limited in uh, how many of these units called Bitcoins uh, that there can be, and there's a uh, ultimately a, there's a schedule that uh, that will ultimately cap at 21 million. So the scarcity allows uh, the, uh, ma makes it where you're not able to just create more like we do in our current money system. We just basically create digitally create money, and that tends to dilute the value of the money that people already have. You can't do that in Bitcoin, and so it's uh it's very attractive in that way. It's also very portable uh, because you can transfer it over the internet. 
easy to verify that it's real, um, all those kinds of things that you would look for in good money. So uh, why should Christians be thinking about Bitcoin? Well, uh, first of all, I would say that um, we need to be thinking about uh, the fact that we're living in negative world now. And the culture is increasingly hostile to Christians, and we're seeing more and more examples of the way that government and hostile financial entities are using money and finances as ways of uh, attacking Christians. Um, you know, I think about Proverbs 22.3 that says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Uh, we should see that there's a danger right now. And Christian ministries and churches and pastors in particular are really big public targets mm. for people that don't like Christianity and its influence in the culture. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, a Christian charity was debanked by Bank of America for vague reasons. And they typically will say their, their user agreement says, we can can't, uh, cancel your account uh, at any time for any reason. And, um, and evidently don't really have to give a reason when they do it. And so this is happening more and more. Uh, I think we need to take our theology of total depravity seriously because even though we may have laws that, that protect us, uh, that doesn't mean the people that are enforcing the laws are going to be willing to use those laws to protect us. And so Bitcoin has the potential to provide an alternative system that's protected by math rather than being protected by blind trust or by force. Mm. So that's one of the things. Uh, another one is just simply recognizing that our current mon monetary system is basically a house of cards right now. Uh, we are possibly in a debt spiral that can't be stopped. And Bitcoin provides a, a lifeboat that Christians and churches should consider as insurance in case that ship starts to go down. So those are the more uh, focused reasons why I think we should be considering it, but there's also a broader reason, and that's just our public theology. Um, as Christians, we need to be concerned about justice, and we need to be thinking about how uh, people made in God's image can pursue the most robust expression possible of ruling and subduing. Bad money creates injustice, and it, it gets in the way of our calling to glorify God by ruling and subduing. So Bitcoin is interesting because it has the potential to take away many of these avenues for abuse and manipulation. Um, good money allows people to specialize in their skills and, their, and glorify God in their special uh, endowments and callings that they have and, and then trade with one another and benefit from other people's special skills. Um, if we have good money, we can do that. If we have bad money, it, it gets in the way of that, and it, and it uh, reduces our ability to shine forth as God's image bearers. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the, the first thing you said um, we had to deal with here at Founders because we've been using PayPal for years and years, and then PayPal came out with its threat, and they quickly rescinded it with a pushback, but they indicated they could do it. You know, they mm -hmm. would cancel accounts. Right. And uh, so we've switched over uh, to a different company, and uh, that's been a, a, a daunting task for us here at Founders. We're not finished with it, and uh, mm. but it's something that we've, we've had to think through on that level. 
Uh, Graham, I know uh, you and I have had some conversations about mm. this as well in terms of uh, you know, what should we be thinking about for the future, how we steward the resources God's given to us. Um, what do you think? Yeah, you know, so I've done a little bit of surface uh, research, you know, and I own some Bitcoin. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day, and you know, my parents' generation thinking about retirement and investments was quite a bit less complicated because there was uh, less risk foreseen in the future. Uh, but for people of my generation, we're in such uncharted waters, uh, you know, in our culture and politically right now. Um, you really don't know uh, where where we're going, where our financial system is going. Um, and so you got to be wise. Like you said, you know, the, the fool sees danger and does nothing. Um, and so it, one thing that's interested me about Bitcoin is that it really is more than money. Like Bitcoin itself is designed to operate as uh, a currency. But the technology behind it is... is is much more than that. It, it's an invention of a new technology. And I was wondering, Stan, if you could speak to that, kind of get behind, you know, what it is as a currency is what, that's what most people think of it as and, and how it operates as a technology. Well, um, I may have a little different take on this than some, some people, but, uh, some people try to abstract the, uh, the invention of what they call blockchain from Bitcoin as though it has a great deal of value all by itself. And, and I'm not saying that blockchains don't have some value as a way to record, like the, uh, distributively record information in a way that makes it where you can't change it and so forth. Um, but I think that money is like the apex, uh, application mm-hmm. of that. And so it's, it's, vastly more important in the realm of money than it is in any other kind of application that you might think of. Um, I do think there are other possible applications, but uh, I think it's probably um, primarily going to find value in money because money has the ability to incentivize that ongoing decentralization and, you know, people have, lots of incentives to run lots of nodes all over the world for it. Whereas in other applications, there's just not the same incentives there. Um, however, I do think that, uh, the, there are implications of this beyond just money. When, when you have a, a money or a, or an ability to record something in a way that everybody knows when it happened, uh, some people call Bitcoin a timestamp server because you can say you can put a, a notation in the Bitcoin blockchain so that uh, so that that piece of information is um, verified that it did exist at this point in time. You can prove that um, that has a lot of possible implications. And then there's uh, just a general implications of of good money for. Uh, and uh, based on a sound technology for the whole society and what we could do several podcasts on, mm-hmm. on that subject, but uh, money really does have a bigger impact on our society than we realize. It's a very powerful tool. Uh, and uh, I could, I could go on about that a little, a little longer as well. 
but uh, it, it has it has its fingers in so many different things. You think about how much we sp- how much of our time and energy is spent either making money or spending money or deciding whether to spend money. And even when you're not spending money, you're usually actively deciding not to. You're deciding that's not worth it. And so, so it occupies a great deal of our energy and attention, and, and it affects our decision-making. So what's the difference between good money and bad money? You, you mentioned good money earlier. Yeah. Well, um, so I guess, uh, you know, to start off, let's talk about uh, – uh, so I, I already mentioned scarcity. I think mm-hmm. uh, good money needs to be durable. So there's been some jokes about eggs being the new Bitcoin when the price of eggs went up so high. You know, <laughs> um, and but you know we all recognize that eggs would make terrible money because eggs easily break and and they spoil. They're just not not a good way to invest for the future for sure. Uh, good money needs to be durable. It needs to be. Uh, easy to, easy to verify that it's real, that it's genuine, not counterfeit. Um, it needs to be fungible. That means that the individual units are interchangeable with each other. So like diamonds are very valuable and scarce, but each one is very different. And so it would be a real pain to, to try to transact in diamonds because everyone has a different value and you'd have to have an expert there to tell you how much each one of them is worth. Um, well, they're not quite so easy to, uh, to verify either. And that's right. Right. Exactly. Um, it needs to be uh, divisible so that you could have very large transactions in the same uh, system as very, very small transactions. Uh, it needs to be permissionless so that when you have it, you really have it instead mm-hmm. of having to go ask somebody else if it's okay for you to use it for something that, you know, any other possessions, we tend not to think in terms of strings attached. We don't have to go ask somebody if we can go use our forks and spoons in our house, you know, it's ours. We do with it what we want to, if we need to use it to go work on the car and nobody's going to penalize us for that. Uh, uh, and so, uh, but money has become very, a lot of strings attached. You try to uh, withdraw a whole lot of money out of the bank and mm. they'll ask you what you're going to do with it. Mm. So, uh, it needs to be permissionless. Um, let me see. It needs to be portable so that we can transact with people at distances. And we do a whole lot of that now in our culture. We have great uh, transportation so we can benefit from things that people produce and and uh, do for us at, at a distance. Um, and so uh, I think that's probably the, the main things. Uh, the, the, the one thing that maybe Bitcoin lacks at this point is not really an inherent property but more of a social property. And that is that whatever is appears to be good money, it still has to take time for people to accept it as money. And that's more of a social network thing that will, that is already there for Bitcoin to a degree, but obviously not even remotely like our dollar system is, but that's something that can grow as people recognize that it has it has inherent properties that make it good money. So given the fact that uh, there's still a lot of uh, dis-ease or, or distrust of Bitcoin, uh, what makes you think that Bitcoin could be better than the current monetary system we have here in the United States? Well, first of all, um, it's um, 
the, the case is more easily made because our system is so messed up. Uh, our system it has is very centralized. The Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve consists of seven people. Those seven people set our monetary policy. That's a really uh, that's a real concentration of power in the hands of of few people. And not only that, but um, our federal government has demonstrated they have absolutely no um, con- uh, ability to restrain themselves from spending money that they don't have. Mm-hmm. And in our current system, it's very easy, easy to basically create money through debt and then spend money that you don't have and then just simply kick the can down the road by paying for paying the interest on the debt rather than paying it back. So our current system is is pretty messed up, and it's also being used to manipulate uh, people and and government just simply because the government can keep on growing and growing without having to raise taxes just by borrowing more, and uh, this has uh, you know tremendous negative effects. Um, so that that's part of it. Just that the, our current system is kind of a ticking time bomb, and then on the other hand, Bitcoin as I said, has all these inherent properties that make it really attractive as money. We, we can't just go out and print more Bitcoin. It's not possible. Uh, it's easy to tell that it's real, it's durable, it's easy to transmit over the internet. Um, uh, lots of different things about it make it very attractive. And so I think it's just more a matter of time and you know building out products that make it easier to use and uh, giving people education, doing what we're doing right now, just having getting people used to the idea. And uh, it might take a generation because, you know, something as ingrained as money uh, is something that takes a long time for, for people to get their heads around something different. Mm. Thank you for joining us for this conversation today. We wanted to remind you of the Founders National Conference that's coming up next year, January 18th through the 20th. It's a wonderful time to be here in Southwest Florida. We don't get hurricanes that time of year, and it's cold throughout the rest of the country. Our theme for the conference this year is Remember Jesus Christ. So the entire conference will be on the doctrine of Christ, and Dr. Joel Beakey, Tom Askell, Paul Washer, Conrad Mbewe, Travis Allen, Phil Johnson will be our speakers for that conference, and we'll also have a special guest, Ali Beth Stuckey, who will be there to do a live podcast with us as well as a breakout session for the women. So we'd love for you to join us here in Southwest Florida in January for our conference. You can go online and register at founders.org. Yeah, you know, you carry around uh, dollar bills uh, in your pocket and you take one out and you can buy a piece of gum or something like that. Not much more than that these days, but you mm-hmm. can buy something, you know, with a dollar bill and it seems like, okay, here's an exchange. I'm giving you something that I can touch and I'm getting something that I mm-hmm. can touch. And that's not the case with Bitcoin. And there is a, a real challenge to overcome the, the kind of physical dimensions of what we have yeah. with money to recognize what's behind it. You know, and it's only the confidence of the players that makes that piece of paper that has green printing on it Mm -hmm. of any value whatsoever. In fact, I read something not too long ago about it now costs us like four cents, three or four cents to make a penny. (laughs) 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 And uh, 
you know, you think, okay, there's something not quite right about values and how that mm. works. And yet, man, um, I, I wasn't educated on this. I mean, it's mm. only been the last several years that uh, through friends and things that they've written that I've been uh, forced to start thinking a little bit more critically about the monetary system. Yeah, you know, you, you talk about trying to wrap your mind around a new form of money, new form of currency, and, and a new technology. I, had, I heard one uh, expert talk about it uh, and compare it to the invention of the automobile. When, when the automobile was first invented, uh, what they would do in order to steer it is they would have you know leather straps on, on different mm. parts of the uh, um, near the wheels, and they would pull on one leather strap to turn right and pull on the other one to turn left. And and what they were doing as this new technology was invented is they were using tools from a past technology and a present technology. They were using reins that they would use mm-hmm. to steer horses on a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until a little bit further down the road they they had decided, okay, this isn't working very well, and they invented the steering wheel to go with the automobile. I think in a lot of ways with Bitcoin, we're still trying to use reins to, to steer the automobile. We're still not all of our thinking and not all of our technology has caught up yet to this new form of currency, this mm-hmm. new form of money. We're very used to using banks. We're very used to asking for permission to have our own money. Like that's not, that, that's not stuff that you do with Bitcoin because yeah. it's a new technology that doesn't require those types of tools. That's an excellent point. Stan, um, you know, as Christians, we're stewards of everything we have. And certainly that's true individually. It's true of, of churches. Um, we're not to be wasteful. We're, we're not to squander what the Lord's given us. And God forbid that we would take what he has entrusted to us and go bury it in a hole and do nothing with it. You know, Jesus is very clear about how we are to leverage what he's entrusted to us. And yet this uh, Bitcoin monetary system is so new and people you know have called it all kinds of different things like a high-tech casino uh it's risky it's dangerous um it's it's immoral i mean i've heard a lot of different things said about it why should christians even consider the possibility why should christians even look into the prospect of using cryptocurrency the uh, uh, bitcoin well, we're so accustomed to a, a very stable environment and uh, generally a friendly kind of government that uh, it, it seems to us historically that using the monetary system that's been provided to us by our government is a zero risk situation. Mm. I think we're increasingly recognizing that that's not the case. And it, it may or may not have been the case before, but it's not the case now. Uh, the, the, the government and many of the institutions are hostile to us and the money itself is broken. Mm. So we have both of those risks that we have to weigh as Christians. There's nothing that says that money, uh, created by the U S government is risk-free. And so when we talk about weighing risks, uh, there's a risk in just continuing on the way we've always done it uh, because that money is that money is risky and the people that are in charge of that money um, are hostile to us. Mm-hmm. So both of those things are risks that we have to think about and and we're called to 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 know the times right yeah. and to see the dangers that might be coming a, ahead and so yeah Bitcoin has uncertainties surrounding it that's for sure but uh, 
but Bitcoin is not under the control of someone or, or a, uh, a system that is trying to harm us. And uh, so it doesn't have that particular risk. Uh, there are risks of unknowns and so forth, but in, it's not gambling to go buy some insurance when you're not sure about what your current uh, situation is going to bring forth. You know, you buy insurance to cover your car or your house um, for different kinds of situations. And so the way I tend to present it, particularly to churches or very conservative um, investors would be that Bitcoin is, is, uh, is kind of like insurance. If the current monetary system fails or if it is um, weaponized against you, then Bitcoin operates on a completely different basis. And it may be the thing that allows you to stay afloat or stay alive or whatever. Mm. Um, I was just reading that in, uh, in Germany in 1938, I believe it was the Nazis required the Jews to report all of their assets to the government. And that became the basis on which later on they, uh, they began to try to confiscate some of their assets. And they also began to, to change the rules so that when they withdrew money from the bank, they gave them a smaller and smaller and smaller percentage. Mm -hmm. And, uh, at some point they were down to like, you could only withdraw 8% of what you had in the bank. And, and this very well may be why so many Jews didn't leave and, and ended up being killed in World War II is because they kept thinking, well, I'll eventually be able to get my money out of the bank and then leave. And they stayed waiting for that. And, you know, the worst happened. Um, with Bitcoin, you don't even have to get your money out of the bank. If you have your private key, you can go anywhere you want as long as you can get access to the Internet. Um, and then you can set up shop there. So, um, yeah, so I think we, we need to co consider these possibilities. Um, because these are these are other risks that are happening on the other side of the equation. You know, you talk about risks. I'm struck by the fact that, you know, you could take your savings and go down to the local bank and put it all into a CD, um, you know, 5% interest rate or something like that, and you still wouldn't be able to outpace the rate at which you're losing money through inflation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and exactly. so there's, there's risk, you know, no matter where your assets are. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's not even, I don't even, I'm not even sure risk is the right word for that. That's just bad. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no like risk. I, I tell people it's like trying to to uh, save water by holding ice cubes. You know, <laughs> it, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Uh, you, you lose over time, and and this is one of the. It's a significant problem. I mean, Christians are called to uh, give an inheritance to their children's children. Hmm. So we do need to be concerned about how do we send value forward in time. Yeah. And when, when you know that the, the low risk solutions like a CD in the bank won't even compete with inflation, then that's not a good solution to that calling that we have. So what we end up doing is we tend to take on much riskier investments in order to try to send value forward into the future. And, uh, and it doesn't always work very well for us. Yeah. yeah. Instead of uh, sending value into the future, we're stealing the value of our From children and grandchildren. Yeah. Right. You, you know, Stan, the way you, you put that, uh, this strikes me that 
discussions about Bitcoin as um, a legitimate monetary system, it's a subset of the larger question that Christians need to be having, and that is, what time is it? And I don't think many conservative evangelical Christians today know or understand what time it is. And we still think that we're living in a neutral world, uh, a world where we can live and let live, you know, classical enlightenment liberalism rules and reigns the day pluralism everybody's treated equally and they don't realize no it really is a negative world and there really are forces now official forces that are increasingly um, emboldened to demonstrate their opposition to christ and the way of christ and the people of christ and so as Christians, we need to be thinking about what time it is. And uh, that means that we ought to be looking at how we steward life, opportunity, resources, money in the very best way possible. And uh, again, we're not financial advisors at all. In fact, uh, you know, my, my forays into uh, financial <laughs> investment have been uh, so uh, dramatically poor that people have called me a cooler in the stock market. And so whenever I invest in stocks, I call some friends and tell them what I've done and they immediately pull out because I'm about to cool the market, you know? Uh, so we're not offering any kind of financial advice, but we are saying as Christians, we ought to be thinking, we need to be thinking about these things and we certainly ought to look into it. And you've helped me a lot over the last year, year and a half or so in conversations about this. And so why I wanted to have you on the podcast is to talk to people to educate them. And there are other ways that Christians can be educated. What would you say to somebody who's listening to the conversation? They said, okay, uh, you know, where do I get more information? What, what recommendations would you have for them? Well, um, I will say, you know, it is, if you're going to really get your head around this, it takes a little bit of study. Uh, So, so prepare for that. First of all, uh, there's a there's a book. Honestly, I haven't read the book, but it has a good reputation uh, called "Thank God for Bitcoin." Hmm. Um, you may want you might want to look into that. Um, there's also a conference that it is it has become a an organization called "Thank God for Bitcoin," and uh, they had a conference this past I think the last two years actually, and they have another one coming up in Nashville in July, 2024. Uh, that might be something to look at if you're well, you know, close enough to that. They have a podcast as well. A good solid guy, Jordan Bush leads that, um, that ministry. Um, that's a good way to learn about things. There's, um, something I recommended to, to you, Tom, is a podcast called mm-hmm. Bitcoin in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I think there are 27 episodes right, and it's yeah. a, it's a really unique podcast in the <laughs> sense that they, they said what they wanted to say. And then they stop talking. <laughs> they, they, uh, it's basically a 27 episode tutorial yeah. about Bitcoin from a Christian perspective and, and a really good job. They did a really good job with that. Yeah. Um, so then it, there's also, if you want to, I guess a smaller intro, there's an article that you can Google called the bullish case for Bitcoin. And uh, that, that's a, it's just a, it's a fairly long article, but it is just an article. And I think it will give you a pretty solid foundation for understanding why Bitcoin is uh, a possible new monetary system. Mm. Uh, that has also been made into a book. And, and so you could get the book link version if you wanted. Uh, a standard book on this is also the Bitcoin Standard by Saifedean Amos. Uh, so that one is one I've read and found helpful. So those are some places that, that I would start. 
with yeah. that. And I would just say the the Bitcoin in the Bible podcast, I listened to all 27 episodes and I was sad when they brought it to an end. I wanted to hear more <laughs> because I was really learning. It was just mm. provocative. Didn't agree with all their theology that came out at points, right. but they're conservative Bible believing guys. Mm. And uh, they did force the issue to think uh, more critically about it than I ever had. I mentioned one other book too by a friend of mine, Chris Brady. I referred to him earlier, he wrote this novel called The Bitcoin Bride. And it's a real easy way in to uh, considering the monetary system and what Bitcoin is. The thesis of the novel is a guy wants to marry this girl and uh, he's in Bitcoin and the father or the future father-in-law says, okay, you got to convince me. You know, you, you do that by telling me what Bitcoin is type of thing. And so that's the storyline and uh, that might be a good help as well. Well, Stan, thank you so much for your time and uh, for sharing with us some of the insights that you've gleaned and some of the reasons why Christians ought to be thinking about this and be willing to look into it without fear. Again, we're not recommending that you uh, run out and start purchasing Bitcoin, but we are recommending that we as Christians kind of do what we can to wake up and understand what time it is and realize that this is not our father's world. This is not our grandfather's world. This is a new world. And we're in a day when we're going to have to think more critically than we have over the last few decades. And yet God's put us here and he's got us here for a good purpose, good reason. So we don't have to be afraid of anything, but we do need to be diligent and we need to be careful. And so guys like Stan that are giving themselves to understanding different niches that are important for us uh investigating bitcoin we got to go to school mm -hmm. on and learn what we can mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so thank you for joining us today on the sword and trial and as always we want to thank our founders alliance members and those uh, founders alliance churches that support us so that we can produce material like this and make it available to churches and church leaders if there's anything that founders can do for you to serve you in any way please don't hesitate to contact us why are we here what is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is, is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. We're there to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ.
to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.